our Please rise for the reading of God's word. Our passage for today is from Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The reading of God's word. Please, please be seated. Wasn't it great getting up this morning and feeling the cooler air and no smoke? It was just uh, so refreshing. We are uh, doing a two-part series now called Identity Theft, and uh, we're looking today at Luke chapter 15. We're going to focus on verses 11 to 32. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what we've experienced in your house today already. And thank you for reminding me that you leave your spirit here until the work on earth is done. That's important for me because uh, sometimes we don't see a whole lot, but your spirit is here. And uh, that means if we're weak, if we're incapable, if we're incompetent, whatever, your spirit makes up for all of that. Because sometimes we don't even know how to pray, but it's your spirit that interprets everything from the depths of our being. So we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. And uh, your spirit inspired the scriptures, and it is only through your spirit that we understand the scriptures. So we thank you, Lord. As we look at your word now, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the internet has certainly given us a lot of amazing opportunities we've never had before. Like watching pizza rat carry a slice of pepperoni down the stairs into the subway on YouTube, or finding out what Kanye West had for lunch, which also was pizza, must just be a coincidence. He's not going to get this slice. But the internet has expanded and enriched our lives. But along with these wonderful opportunities have also come some problems we've never had before. And one of the most difficult is identity theft. Some hacker in Thailand can get your mother's maiden name and steal money from your offshore account. Don't you hate when that happens? I didn't think anyone would figure out Hasenpfeffer. But identity theft did not start with computer technology. It's actually been around for thousands of years, and most people don't even realize that they've been victimized. John chapter 10, verse 10, identifies the source. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, abundant life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This thief, who has been operating a successful identity theft ring for centuries, is still in business, 
and we are his current targets. And he's not stealing information. He's stealing our very identity. Satan doesn't want to hack into our savings. He wants to create havoc with our salvation. The thief wants to deceive us so that we forget who we really are. For example, there's a familiar passage in the Bible that introduces us to some of his previous victims. In Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So here we have a righteous father who operates a successful livestock ranch. He reminds us of the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And that's no coincidence. This rancher treats everyone well, his employees, and especially his children. They have everything they need. It really doesn't get any better. But for one of them, it wasn't enough. The youngest heir to this fortune wants out. For some reason, he has decided he doesn't want to be part of this scene anymore. Righteousness is getting boring. The youngest son wants to be somewhere else. He wants to be someone else. So he decides to cash out and go off and find himself and follow his dreams. It says in verse 13 not, not, <clears throat> that not long after that, the younger, younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And it was exciting. Wow, a new beginning. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Leaving behind the old cocoon and spreading your wings. And when he got to the far country, he immediately reinvented himself, redefined who he was. He was no longer the son of the father. He was now the life of the party. It says in verse 13, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. It must have been like uh, South Beach or the Riviera or Mardi Gras or Vegas. I don't know if he ran into the lasers. <laughs> and for him, money was no object. Bartender, another round for my friends. He was learning a new language. Hello, ladies, do you come here often? I mean, this was amazing. He'd never had so many friends before. Friends for life. The old life was gone and forgotten. He liked this new version of himself much better. Why, he might even become the next heartthrob on The Bachelor. His identity had totally changed. His old friends wouldn't recognize him anymore. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. So the youngest son had become the bad son. And he didn't realize it, but he was another victim of identity theft. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And some of us may also have been victimized. Jesus has alerted us to the fact that Satan is a con artist. In John 8:44, Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of lies. And anyone who believes these lies is going to have an identity crisis. Like Eve in paradise, where the serpent convinced her that God was somehow limiting her potential, that she could do better without him. It's much more fun 
being a little naughty, born to be wild. It's good to be bad. I once believed that lie, and it was the biggest mistake I ever made. In verse 14, it says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Sin can be highly satisfying at first, but there are consequences. In fact, Satan has a lot of unsatisfied long-term customers, and you can find them in rehab and solitary confinement or a homeless shelter or a penthouse suite. For this young man, the pleasures of sin were for a season. Seasons have changed. So now you're behind on your rent, and your Porsche Cayenne has been repossessed, and you owe the bookies a lot of money because you bet on Germany to win the World Cup. And what happened to all my friends? After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So that meant he could no longer be the life of the party. He had to change his identity again. Verse 15, it says, So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. His only previous experience was in agriculture. He was good with livestock. So he got a job as a pig herder, probably one of the worst jobs there was, which raises the question, what is a nice young Hebrew doing looking after hogs? It's inconceivable. By this time, there was nothing left of his former identity. He was destitute and desperate, capable of anything, and this is about as low as a Jewish man can sink. How utterly degrading. In fact, it even got worse. Verse 16 says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The pigs were eating better slop than he was. Indeed, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. You see, that's the end game of identity theft. It's intended to take everything away from you. The enemy starts by offering you more, which becomes less and less until finally you're left with nothing. The thief wants to take everything away, all your hope, all your joy, all your freedom, and your future, so that there's nothing left, not even the desire to live. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. When I believed Satan's lies, I spent eight years in the emotional purgatory of a tormenting inferior complex that almost drove me to suicide by the time I was 20. Every suicide is a victim of identity theft. When you forget who you are, you become vulnerable to the predators who intentionally target the downcast and defeated. When lions attack a herd, they focus on the easiest prey, the sick, the weak, the slow, the oldest, the youngest. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion 
looking for someone to devour. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he had run out of options. He couldn't go lower, but it wasn't hopeless. Because although identity theft affects our net worth and self-worth, it really doesn't change who we actually are. All we have to do is... Are we having trouble with this mic? Should I get one of those? Identity theft does not change who we are, really are. So all we have to do is remember. Revelation 2.5 says, Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. That's an opportunity for all of us. Verse 17 says, When he came to his senses. Temptation is very intoxicating. It's hypnotic. It's like a trance. You could say sin bewitches us, makes us delirious. And yet it's still our fault because we've made some choices. And that's also where our hope lies because there was one choice left. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. The bad son had disabled his conscience and put his soul into a coma in order to let his heart run wild. But all of a sudden, his soul was waking up and his conscience was stirring. And he remembered who he was. And for the first time in years, he began to tell himself the truth about the fact that there was a father. He had a father back home. And the lowest ranking part-time ranch hand was eating better meals than he was. So what am I doing here? What was I thinking? He couldn't go any lower, but he could go back. Verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. That's encouraging. Finally, there's hope. Many reach this point. They come to their senses. And they kind of see what the solution is, but it's not enough. Verse 20 says, So he got up and went to the Father. There it is. Now, finally, we're getting somewhere. You see, there's a big difference between knowing the answer and having the solution. You can know the answer, but never apply it so it doesn't become a solution. That's one of the frustrating things about being a pastor. You know, we know the Bible, so we kind of know what the answers are. But we have no solutions. Because people have to apply the answer. They actually have to do something about it. Just do it. That's when things begin to change. It says, so he got up 
and he went to his father. He actually did something about it. So that's the turning point. It's not just coming to your senses. You can have the answer and still keep feeding pigs. But he got up and he went to his father. And that's what I did. But it's not easy because you go back with fear and trembling. What kind of reception am I going to get? Am I walking into rejection? What are you doing here? The bad son may have been telling himself more lies. They must think I'm a hopeless case. They've probably given up on me. They won't believe that I've changed. Maybe you can't go back. But he was willing to renegotiate. In verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. I'm just looking for a job. I have no money. But if you're hiring, I'm good with pigs. I mean, good with livestock. Maybe I can look after some of the calves. I'd rather be a servant than a bad son. He had no idea what they were going to say. And he was probably fearing the worst. You have disgraced the family name. You're a huge disappointment. I knew you'd never amount to very much. Do you ever listen to your fears? Are those the kind of things that your fears tell you? Then you must have realized that fear consistently lies to you. Fear is one of the most sinister hackers in the identity theft game. And every lie you believe distorts your true identity. And so if you've hired fear as one of your consultants or counselors, fire it immediately. Don't give two weeks notice. Just escort it to the exit. Fear does nothing good in terms of helping us see who we really are. So he got up and went to his father. I'll tell you, if this was an Olympic event, the degree of difficulty would have been 9.9. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. That father lived for one thing, the return of his son. Some of you know what that means. That father kept looking down the road, hoping that someday he would see him coming back. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. But how did he know? I mean, I don't think he looked anything like the son who left. Sin has a way not only of changing our identity, but also our very appearance. There's a coldness in the eyes. There's a defiance in the face. You avoid eye contact. There's all kinds of evasive maneuvers. The bad son probably hadn't had a bath in months. Sin can make us cosmetically challenged. How did the father even recognize him? Because the father always sees our true identity. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. And the father told his servants, take him to the barn and clean him up. Spray him down, he smells disgusting. No. It says... And he, he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on and Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father gave the son the gold ring, symbolic of his full position as the son of the father. You know, whatever your fears may have told you, the truth is that no matter who you are, and no matter what you've done, you matter to God, to your heavenly father. No one is more important than you. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now, there had been a lot of parties in the far country, but never one like this. This celebration broke all existing records. Luke 5, 15, 7, There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You know, there's over... 10,000 people becoming Christians every single day. And in each case, heaven is celebrating and rejoicing. It's just nonstop. Can you imagine being part of that? This celebration was amazing. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. That's what the abundant life looks like. The father didn't get out some hamburger helper or check for leftovers. He said, let's kill the fatted calf. Let's have a feast. Let's use our very best. And the decibel level was off the charts. You could hear it for miles, country miles. In fact, somebody working way out in the fields heard it and came to investigate. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Can you imagine what would have happened if the bad son had run into his older brother before the father noticed him? You know, older brothers can be hard on their younger brothers, even at the best of times. Can you imagine what he would have said? What are you doing here? Yeah, yeah, well, I told you so. I knew you would never amount to very much. You're dead to me. You're no longer my brother the bad son would have burned up on re-entry. So let me tell you that your identity is not about what other Christians have said about you or how they've treated you in a negative way. Your identity is only about what's taking place in the Father heart of God. Nothing else is relevant. Your identity is not the sum total of all the criticisms that you have received. As a pastor, I've had to learn this over and over again. Our identity is not based on criticism. It's based on Christ. 
And this angry reaction makes it obvious that the good son was also a victim of identity theft. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Notice that the younger brother called him this son of yours. And the father said, your brother. It's important. How the good son saw himself and how the father saw him were very different. See, the good son had also been telling himself lies. For him, life was all about duty. As if the father was a scowling Bill Belichick. Do your job. For many believers, their value and self-esteem is based on what they accomplish. They feel validated by obedience and by producing results. And that's all good until they finally run into God's grace. Because God's grace is not fair. And it's not based on performance. And it's hard to process that if you're a perfectionist or you're a legalist or you're a religious, a religious practitioner. Because you've got this hard-working, clean-living, rule-obeying saint who's never deviated from the faith, and they can't grasp why a backslidden, good-for-nothing, worthless sinner who repents is given the warmest welcome and full status as a son or daughter of God with all of the benefits and privileges pertaining to that. That's just not fair. I worked hard all these years while he was squandering your money and ruining our family's reputation and indulging in depravity. And did I mention wasting our money? What's there to celebrate? This is just not fair. Have you ever noticed that God is not fair? Satan always points that out. That's why he wants you to shop and compare. How come God is treating her better than you? What's wrong with you? Satan wants us to compare because that messes with our identity. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. That's the problem right there. He never took the time to celebrate. He could have. You never even gave me a goat. The good son felt deprived. How do you know that uh, you're a victim of identity theft? 
you have this feeling of deprivation. See, the thief will deprive you of what's rightfully yours. I have been deprived. I never even got a goat. If you spend your time complaining and feeling sorry for, sorry for yourself and comparing yourself, then you are a victim of identity theft. That's the, the number one symptom of identity theft is complaining and self-pity. And the reason we complain is because someone has been lying to us or we have been lying to ourselves. We need to come to our senses. You never even gave me a young goat. Well, that was not the father's fault. The problem is he never took the time to celebrate, and I think I know why. Because he was too busy collecting points so that he could move up from silver to gold status. The good son also needed to come to his senses. He never took the time to celebrate, but he could have. Verse 31, my sons, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But I'm not entitled to it yet. I haven't earned it. I haven't worked hard enough. And that's precisely why salvation is not by works. Of course the good son didn't earn a fatted calf celebration and he would never be entitled to one because he was just as unworthy as the bad son. All of us are unworthy. That's why there's grace. God does not treat us as we deserve to be treated. None of us are worthy to be called the sons and daughters of God, but he adopted us anyway for the sake of Jesus Christ because of his death and resurrection. And as soon as he did that, as soon as he adopted us, we got the silver ring. No. We got the gold ring and the gold card because there is no second class in the kingdom of God. As soon as he adopted us, as soon as we became his children, he gave us everything. Romans 8, 38, 32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? James agrees with that in chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. That's not the prosperity gospel. That's in the Bible. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. You know, God loves the fact that you've dedicated your life to serving him. Well done, good and faithful servant. But please, please don't forget to celebrate. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He lost his identity, but we found it. So come on in and celebrate. Oh, if you knew your true identity, 
you would spend a lot less time complaining and comparing yourself and a lot more time celebrating. Father, we thank you that heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. And they don't rejoice more because of the identity of that sinner, because they're in some way different than we are. Everyone is treated equally because all of us get way more than we deserve. And as we come to this table, we, we realize that especially. This is truly a celebration because this is what's made all the difference. Jesus Christ giving his life for us, dying so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be the beneficiaries of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Father, thank you that you're not just a God, but you're a heavenly Father. And you have compassion on us. May we find our identity in what's happening in your heart, not what people say, so that we can truly be children of the Heavenly Father and celebrate that every day of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask.